Hi, I'm Becky. And I'm Haley. And this is How to Not Get Killed. What's up, everybody? Yeah. I'll give you a second to answer me. <laughs> Everybody shout at once. Everybody all tell me how you're doing right now. I'm listening, I swear. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think I have any, like, crazy updates to go on here. Nothing like that. Nope. Nope. This is what happens when Becky and I record things in, you know, succession. <laughs> and then we've gotten to the last episode we've recorded like, in a session. And we're like, we have nothing to say. I have absolutely nothing to say. Let's just dive say. right into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so this week we're actually covering a disappearance. Um, this person is still actively missing and Paris's family is still constantly looking for her. So this this just felt like a very important case, especially with how like recent it is mm-hmm. to discuss because it's also a case that like, again, like I don't see it popping up on social media everywhere and like it's just not being talked about enough. So we're mm-hmm. going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we can help in any kind of way at all bring Paris Hobson home. So let's do just just like a little brief background and then we'll basically just jump like right into everything that went down. So uh, Paris Hobson was born in 1993 to parents Rochelle Arnold and Perry Lee Hobson. Um, She grew up in the community of, I'm going to probably say this wrong, but Massillon, Ohio. Massillon. I don't know. It's M-A-S-S-I-L-L-O-N. How would you say that? Massillon? Yeah, if I'm doing a literal pronunciation, yeah, I would say Massillon. But you're right, it could be Massillon if it's like a the double L is not pronounced that way. (laughs) So, there. (laughs) We question everything. Yes, I know. I overthink everything. When it comes to pronunciation, I'm like, because I know somebody might hear it wrong and then like look in a different area. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. like, well, when it's this, I'm like, no, this place specifically. It's in Ohio, though, you said. Ohio, correct. So Paris's case kind of begins, if you will, about two years prior to her disappearance. Um, it's just like a big detail of the, her case that's potentially connected. Okay. Um, or the cause, we're, we're not sure either way. It, it it plays a role Okay. with her disappearance and, and also a role in helping possibly locate Paris. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start at the this section here. Um, so June 16th of 2017, um, Paris's brother, I believe he's younger than her, um, her brother, Perry, who was 23 at the time, was in a tragic car accident on his way to work. The driver ended up getting out of the car and fleeing the scene. The full details of the accident still remain a mystery. Oh, wow. What or who all of that, like, that caused the accident, it's still very, very unresolved. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a a very tragic car accident. Perry was then brought um, to the hospital in Columbus, Ohio, with um, life-threatening injuries and was immediately put on life support. So as a result, Paris had picked up from Massillon and moved to her mother's place in Columbus to be closer to her mother and support Perry through this and be by his side. Mm -hmm. And basically just be like a really great sister so we're gonna flash forward just a little bit um because this whole like year that he's on life support she's just supportive there she's 
just mm-hmm. like really dedicated to her family. Wow. Um, however, on April 13th of 2018, nearly a year on life support, Perry had passed away from his injuries, Aww. leaving behind a young son and daughter. The family reports that the, the, this just had such a massive impact on Paris mm-hmm. that ever since the ac- accident, she was dedicated to like being there for him and her mom. And it took such a huge toll on her, like mentally and everything, like just a dark hole for her, um, naturally. Yeah. Like that's just... It's a lot for anyone to have to take on. It's... Yeah. Because it's it's unexpected and now you're, you've become like a caregiver to a degree. Yeah. And it just... It, it fucks up your whole life. Yeah. And it's just like traumatic to like lose a sibling in general. Yeah. The entire family was a complete wreck after this, naturally, of course. Like it, yeah, it just was like a difficult time altogether. Yeah. Like, I, I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine. Like it's just, yeah. Um, especially with like the suspicious nature of everything and just not really having any resolution to how or why or who or any of it mm-hmm. um of course with car accidents it's sometimes one of those things that if the person who caused the accident flees the scene it's it's often very unlikely they'll be able to find the culprit mm-hmm. um i also feel like car accidents at least in my opinion too forensically never get treated with the same thoroughness of scene investigation mm-hmm. it's kind of like okay i'm looking at it i'm assessing car a come from came from this way car b came from here impact okay done they i feel like it's never like they go in and do like a full sweep like head to toe and try and take all of the possible forensic evidence but and that just didn't happen obviously Mm -hmm. so just a few weeks after his passing um this is fucking awful um a local high school used images from perry's accident in a drunk driving campaign and put billboards up on the school used it in the school and everything what? Harry was not drunk. This was not a drunk driving situation. Were they implying all. that the person that hit him was drunk? I don't know what the implication was, but... But they didn't have permission to there, use these photos. No permission and no yeah. proof of it even being a drunk driving situation. That's... On, on either end, really. So messed up. So, so... <laughs> Paris actually did an interview for the local news demanding accountability for the person who used images from her brother's accident wildly incorrectly. She states that it did, in fact, have a massive impact on her and her family as it was false. And it kind of just created this, like, negative opinion towards the family and to Perry. Yeah. Which is just awful. You don't want to be remembered that way. Of course not. So, um... In the documentary I watched, I'll link that in the show notes as well, there's a clip of Paris speaking out on the news about this, and it's very moving. Um, It's also so unfair that the school did this to a grieving family. Like, it was so recent. Like, it was weeks after. Yeah. Like, the the grieving process, we all know, lasts, like, at least a year, and then after that, you can, like, grieve slowly. Like, it's it's different for everybody. It's a lifelong journey, but it's, like, three... What did you say, three weeks? Just a few weeks. It didn't say yeah, exactly how that's quick, but so soon after. Yeah. And again, even if if it even if it was a drunk driving situation, like you still don't have permission to use those photos. Like it's wrong on so many levels. It is. So it's just awful. So I that took a huge toll on everybody, just kind of having to like grieve, but then also be like reminded of the accident, like daily driving past the school and everything. And it's yeah. like, well, Take these fucking signs down. Oh, my god! Like, we get it. You're trying to prevent drunk driving. Don't use our, our 
past family member as as this poster child for it when you don't even know. Yeah. Like, why would you do that? Like, did you just find pictures of the car mangled and thought that that would be, like, scary for the kids? Because if so, that's awful. Yeah. That's, that's just awful. Like, you can't just pick what you think works for your narrative. Like, it's no. not right. So we're going to flash forward about, about a year because he had passed in 2018 and now we're into 2019 and it's Christmas Eve. So Christmas Eve, Rochelle, which is Par- uh, Paris's mom, they drive up to Massillon from Columbus, uh, from, Col- sorry, I don't know why I'm like just having such a moment, from Columbus, which is about like a two hour drive roughly uh, to be with their family for Christmas at Paris's grandparents' house. Mm-hmm. Rochelle had pointed out that Paris was sleeping for most of the drive and stated that Paris hadn't been sleeping greatly, uh, great lately and wasn't entirely her normal self because of the lack of sleep. So she did note that, like, even driving up, she noticed, like, something was just, like, a little off with the behavior, like, just very tired and not her normal bubbly outgoing self. So now it's Christmas morning, December 25th of 2019. Paris had by all accounts of the family members in the household for Christmas, appeared to be bothered by something. Rochelle said she was unsure of what it was, um, but she just seemed very bugged. Okay. Annoyed, not herself, like short. Okay. Just bothered. Yeah. Is the word that just about every family member that appeared in the documentary used was just, she just seemed bothered. Okay. Um. So Rochelle, around like, I think it was like noon or two in the afternoon, says to Paris that um, her and a friend are going to walk down the street to a neighbor's place to just visit with another friend and said to Paris, would you like to join us? Mm -hmm. Paris says, okay, but she starts heading off in another direction. So Rochelle's like, where are you going? And Paris says, I'm actually just going to go off to the park and just like clear my head. Okay. So Rochelle says to her, and I I wanted to pull this quote from what Rochelle said in the documentary, whatever's on your mind, don't worry about it, just pray about it. She said that she could tell Paris was clearly going through something in this moment. She wanted to give her some comforting words and also give her her daughter some space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I should have mentioned Paris is 26 at this point. Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah, because that gets brought up. So she's just like, just take your time, do your walk, clear your head, you know. Also, too, like Christmas is busy being around family. You're like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe she's thinking, maybe is she missing her brother? Like, yeah. Any, Holidays any can be a hard time Absolutely. for people. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, just a short bit of time had passed. Um, I think it was like half an hour after they had split. Rochelle texted Paris with no response. Rochelle's like, okay, it's just been half an hour. Maybe she's still walking. That's fine. Rochelle is, however, worried at this point. And it's mm-hmm. only been half an hour because it is it is unlike Paris to step away for this long, also on Christmas, mm-hmm. when the whole family's there to be together and enjoy. So Christmas is still unfolding at home. Everything's going normally there and whatnot. But then the family's starting to get a little bit more worried. Like a few hours had passed at this point and they're like, okay, she's not back yet. She should have come back by now. Yeah. So Rochelle decides to walk out to the car. I can't remember if she said she was like going specifically to look for for anything of Paris's or anything like that. She just was like, I'm going to go check the car. So she goes to see and she sees that Paris's phone is sitting on charge in the car. Oh. She also sees her IDs, her debit card and purse and just basically all of her stuff in the car. Whoa. So Rochelle right away is like, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. 
she's like, that's it. This is not okay. So Rochelle hops in the car and goes straight to the park and doesn't see Paris anywhere. Mm -hmm. So she like went off in the direction that she knows Paris was walking and nothing. So she goes directly to the police department at this point. uh, This was nightfall now. She's like, yeah, it's nightfall. She's Mm -hmm. not back yet. I'm going directly to the police department. So she goes there. Everyone in her family is still stating at this point that this is extremely out of character for her on so many different levels. Like, she just wouldn't leave her things, too. Like, that's just not... Almost nobody would do that. No. Like, not your wallet, especially not your phone. No. Like, I just don't know anyone in this day and age that would... If you have a phone and you're, like... You're not like 87 years old. Well, like, um, most people would never exactly. leave the house to go for a walk without their phone. No. In case of an emergency. Especially, especially like I being like the age person, like especially a 26 year old. Yeah, absolutely. No. There's, no. yeah, that just, it, it's not possible. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so naturally the police department, tar- department reminds her like they can't really do a whole lot yet because of the whole 24-hour bullshit thing. I think that's just bullshit. I'm going to talk about the 24-hour rule. Like, we all know that, like, when someone goes missing, like, the first 24 hours are the most vital. Why do we have yeah, to wait until I after think it the should 24 be, hours? Like, I think it should be up to the police department to decide. Like, if they think that it's worthy of looking into, again, and they feel mm-hmm. like those few first few hours are, uh, they know that they're as crucial as we know that they are. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that they should be allowed to do it. Like, I don't agree that it's policy that you have to wait 24 hours. Right. I think that, yeah, that rule just shouldn't. If a police force is like, we usually like to wait 24 hours or whatever, then, like, I guess that's their decision. But, like, they should be allowed to start the investigation right away. Exactly. If and it seems alarming enough, which, right? like, this does to me. It's it's already alarming to me. Yeah. Like, if, and, and I'm I'm watching this mother, Rochelle, who's saying that even after half an hour when I texted her, I was alarmed. Yeah. So I think like there's like a level of onus on the family where it's just like, okay, families in general, if they're if you're going to report a missing person and you're adamant that this is not in character for the person you're reporting, yeah, that's when the police should go. Okay, these these family members, these people here that are reporting this person as missing, are extremely convinced yeah. that this is suspicious behavior. Then that's when investigation should just occur right away because. Yeah, we do know, like, okay, for example, like, let's say, like, I haven't heard from you in this amount of time, but I'm also, like, not sure because whatever, Mm -hmm. I could be like, you know, I just want to, like, put it out there that I think Kaylee's missing. It might not be, you know, a serious concern, but Mm -hmm. just in case. So I feel like every, when you go to report someone, like, everyone reports different levels of concern, but they were very concerned. Yeah, and and I know she's 26, so this doesn't necessarily apply, but, like, I do not think there should be a 24-hour rule for children. Oh, no. No, for children? Ever. Fuck no. It should be like a 25-minute rule where it's just like they've been out of your sight for half an hour. We're getting them. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, yeah. Like anyone under the age of 18. But like I understand she's 26 and I do agree. If someone comes in with like that much level of concern and there's multiple family members that are vouching and saying like, nope, Nope. she would never do this. We we all know something's wrong. Exactly. Then – it, it might not mean that she's been dead or murdered or kidnapped, but something is very wrong. Something's wrong. She, she could be hurt somewhere. She, she could, could have, have fallen. She, yeah. Any any number of things could happen. Absolutely. It's just, it's, I hate the whole, like, I don't know, approach to dealing with missing persons in this regard because it's just, it feels so wrong. Well, it seems to me like if they had, if they started searching within the first 24 hours, a lot more of these cases would be solved quicker. In yeah. the sense of, like, then you wouldn't have to use so much manpower to... Now, after 24 yeah. hours, 
you've lost like like a lot of your evidence has gone cold and you have to like double your resources that's what and, i like, mean like and, not every case is like that but a lot of them are yeah and especially like ones for example that like take place outside where it's just like okay but 24 hours weather can ruin everything mm-hmm it can completely alter, like, yeah, evidence, like you said. It could alter footsteps. It could, mm-hmm. al- like, it's just, so it's just, act right away. <laughs> like, that's just, yeah. so they do still ask uh, Rochelle some questions and whatnot to get the paperwork going to be prepared for the 24 hours. Um, and then Rochelle uh, tells her, tells them how Paris is 26. So, of course, right away, she's responded to by saying, well, she's an adult, you know, she can just walk away and leave whenever she feels like it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. On Christmas Day, you're telling me that this 26-year-old walked out of her house with no phone, no wallet, no IDs, nothing, disappears, and, and she's just leaving on her own free will and volition? What, no. You, where do you think she went? Like, two, two, three hours back home? Yeah. On foot? With no phone and wallet? I, like, she what left you, her belongings uh, on a snowy, cold Christmas day in Ohio. Like, it's just... Yeah. So the family is insistent, again, that this is not in character for her. And they're being very persistent with, like, the police. And even if it is, even if this is in somebody's character, this is something that I think should be allowed, is the police should still do their job. Locate this person. If they then locate this missing person and say, and the person on the other end says, hey, I kind of don't want to go back to my home for whatever reason, the police should then be able to go, I've located the person you're looking for. Mm-hmm. they're not coming back but they are safe and because then at least the family could be like okay at least i know she's safe. alive and all safe. they want to know is that she's safe and that's it of course that would be hard to deal with mm-hmm. but i think that is something that happens is like do your job go look for the person that's being reported as missing don't just assume that they've walked away and just leave it at that when you find them if they decide to say to you hey i'm not coming back that's when you can let the family know you know they've moved on yeah, and it's no longer in our hands. Yeah. Yeah. But, of course, that just doesn't happen. Um, so the family then spends the entire night searching high and low for her, like, constantly, mm-hmm. everywhere. They're all out looking. Um, Rochelle had put out a post on different social media channels to see if anyone has seen her, shared photos of her, like, really spread the news right away. Um, Rochelle contacted the police for a second time and then says she was acting strange and not herself this morning. And then all of the details. And now, and then they were able to officially list her at that point as a missing person and begin the official search. Yeah. So a couple days of searching had gone by at this point. Um, the family is then contacted, like, by the department asking to conduct a search with with dogs. Um, like, the sniffer dogs that look for people. So groups were then formed with dogs and everything. Some volunteers, a lot of people band together to physically go out and search for her broken up into different groups and sent out to different areas nothing um the main detective jason golick um for the massillon police department he's on the case and he also believes that there must be more to it because of all of her belongings being left behind so he's in agreement at this point he's like very weird he's like this is this was suspicion number one mm-hmm. is leaving her belongings behind he's normally if someone and he points out too if normally if someone was planning on just casually leaving they would take their belongings with them and like of dispose course. of them elsewhere yep if that was the case but he was like it just seemed very fishy that everything was just like left out on the car seat mm-hmm. so several days have gone by at this point now and police are now 
but politely asking the family to accept the possibility that they might be looking for a body. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's just something they're saying we have to accept this possible reality. Yeah. Therefore, we are sending cadaver dogs. Right. So they, at this point, had asked the family to stay home to, like, not, like, mess up any sense or anything like that. And they sent cadaver dogs around the park, the family household where they were celebrating the Christmas, the park, the path leading to the park, and everything and every place that felt even remotely relevant to the case. Okay. They did send cadaver dogs. So, um, where do I... I get to that later. Sorry. I, th- I thought I forgot that information, but I've moved it. So, police had actually put out a call in the newspaper at this, like, similar time to releasing uh, cadaver dogs for anyone who had external camera footage on their properties. Oh, Storefronts, right. yep. houses. Everybody has those now. This was only 2019. Like, this is a yeah, this current is recent. case. Yeah, for sure. Like, everybody has those doorbells that has street cams. So, it's kind of like, you know, we all have it. So, they were asking anybody with external camera footage of that time and area to come forward. The family was contacted directly through social media from someone working at Family Dollar. They were adamant that they saw Paris come in and buy tobacco. So, the family's thinking like, oh, okay, um... No one in the, like, documentary had talked about whether or not she smoked or anything like that. Okay. So they were like, okay. So they got, like, excited, thinking, like, let's go see this footage. Yeah. It was not Paris. Okay. Even though the person that called was, like, extremely positive it was Paris, it was not. Okay. okay. However, the family's relieved by that. Okay. They're relieved because because these searches were producing nothing, it gave them hope that she's still out there. Right. It gave them hope that they will find her because it's not like we're seeing her on somebody's front lawn getting stuffed into a car. You know, they're like, okay, we're we're at least finding the hope with these dead end searches that we'll find her. Yeah, that like maybe she's not in the area, which means that she's gone farther, that she's somewhere else. Yes. Yeah, I get that. And and that like I I feel like I would also look at it that way too. Is like okay, perfect. No, well, you want to you'd want to put a positive spin on whatever you, you have find to. out, right? Until and and that's the thing is like it's she very well could still be out there, and we're that's why we're talking about this and still looking. Mm-hmm. So now we're moving four months after her disappearance. It's April of 2020. So uh, two years ago now. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Private investigator Timothy Dimoff joins the search and starts reviewing the existing evidence. The Massillon Police Department was actually really happy to have extra help and created a good relationship with Timothy. That's really good. Yeah, because it's noted (laughs) that the Massillon Police Department is super, super small. Okay. Um, So that's kind of why they were, like, very open and receptive of having extra hands on the case. Which is so nice because, like, we've always heard stories about, like... Police departments getting possessive or, like, proud and, like, not wanting, oh, no, we can do it ourselves and, and, like, not sharing information. And, like, yeah, it's just, like, it shouldn't be about that. It should just be about finding the person. So if someone else is coming in to help, then, like, accept that help and, like, work with them. And he does bring his own, like, expertise and theories to it that now open up new possibilities of what happened okay so timothy given his review of the previous statements and evidence up until this point and everything that was like came from the previous searches says how the cadaver dogs didn't find a body but what the cadaver dogs did find was a trail okay of footsteps they were able to track her scent down a certain path on the streets near the grandparents house however this path stops abruptly at this like sort of corner intersection nearby okay 
it's yeah, which leads Timothy to believe that there may have been a vehicle involved. That she got picked up, and then that's where the scent ends. Yes. Yeah. He's thinking that this vehicle, no idea what yet, showed up. She got into the vehicle either by force or it's somebody she, she knew or she was mm-hmm. just, like, abducted. Any any number of things could have happened with this supposed vehicle. Mm-hmm. Again, this is just a theory. This is just Timothy's theory. We don't necessarily have proof of this happening. But this is just, like, what it kind of, like, seems what occurred. Mm-hmm. So this has um, Timothy wondering if this has anything to do with Perry's accident, as Paris often talked about how upset she was about the person that just took off and left her brother there in the shape that he was in. She was dedicated to finding out who drove the car. Um, so something I want to talk about here with in relation to Perry's accident is in the documentary I watched and the article, the few articles I was able to read, the details from this car accident are so unclear and confusing so in the documentary it's presented as though perry wasn't the one driving the vehicle oh so it sounds as though somebody else was driving his vehicle and there was another vehicle involved but then at other points this other vehicle isn't talked about at all so it sounds like whoever was driving perry's vehicle caused this accident with perry in the car it's very confusing. Okay. It's very confusing to figure out. But Rochelle talks about how everyone in the family knows that Perry doesn't trust a lot of drivers. Mm-hmm. So that's why they were shocked to find out that whoever was driving his vehicle, and this is why I got confused being, because mm-hmm. at first when they were talking about it, I was like, okay. It sounded like he was driving and, and someone hit him. Yeah. But then when they talk about it further, it sounds like somebody in the vehicle caused it. I not see. Perry. I see. Okay. So it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, it's so confusing. So I'm just, I'm also together with you guys, like piecing it yeah. together. Like, so I'm just giving you the information that I have. But anyway, so it sounds as though somebody else was driving his vehicle and then fled the scene. Hmm. Yeah. Um, there are certain points that uh, Rochelle and Logan, who is, um, Paris's cousin, they talk about how um, Paris believed that Perry must have known and trusted this driver. Mm-hmm. It must have been a friend. Yeah. Otherwise, he wouldn't be driving the vehicle. And it just kind of was like the only option that seemed to make sense to them. Right. Okay. Okay. Again, I don't know the details of this car accident. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of people do. It's very unclear. Okay. So at that point, uh, Timothy does a, like a thorough search of Paris's phone and emails, and it comes back clean. He's actually suspicious by how clean it came back because mm-hmm. he he found it odd considering how obsessed Paris was with finding the person who she believed killed her brother. Mm-hmm. This leads Timothy to believe that Paris must have a burner phone where she was communicating with people and doing searches on there. Because he's like, I'm not finding names being searched repeatedly and Mm -hmm. then having their backgrounds checked. I'm not finding communication with someone that's like trying to proposition a confession out of them. Like things like that, where it's just like... Yeah, like Google searches or anything that would relate to it. Exactly. As far as like if someone was like, yeah, wanting to look into this, like most people would use their phone, right? Yeah. So that's why he's like, it's suspiciously clean how how her information came back where it was just like it did for someone who everyone was like oh she was obsessed with finding the killer yeah 
to, because like even you and me, like when we talk about cases, if someone searched our history, it would be like, for example, my search history right now is just all Paris Hobson. Yeah. So it's like, it would appear as though like I've dived into this person's life and I'm just like obsessed with finding the details. Yeah. So wouldn't it be odd for someone to then investigate my computer and find nothing about Paris Hobson? Yeah. When everyone knows that's what I'm searching. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. why they're like, it's odd. Yep. I agree that it's odd for it's sure. It's odd. Definitely. Just fishy at, at the very least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he, yeah, he believes that she must have been communicating with someone who potentially knows something or perhaps the driver themselves. Mm-hmm. So it gets mentioned later by some of the family members um, that were in the house on Christmas with Paris that prior to the walk, she was seen looking out the window occasionally, specifically at the corner of the street, right where the cadaver dog trail stopped. Huh. Like peeping through the window, looking out, checking, and then like leaving, checking, leaving. Like just odd behavior. Like it was already noted that she... Didn't seem herself. She seemed bothered, agitated, like... Yeah. Preoccupied, yeah. something, something weird. Yeah. So then after this, um, a witness, I no information on this witness, just a witness had come forward, a friend, like just a friend of the family in the neighborhood, says that they saw Paris standing at that corner of the street, looking up and down like she was waiting for somebody. Right. So Timothy Dimoff strongly believes that it is, it's a good possibility Paris figured out who was driving the car. Yeah. Especially because if it's someone that her brother knew and trusted, like it was one of his closest friends. Mm-hmm. Like, sorry, if someone was trying to figure out this out in my life, it would be like, okay, so is it Becky or is it Hillary? Is it Allie? Is it Megan? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, as far as like, I, exactly. I have a, I have a group of friends. I have a couple very close group of friends. So like, you you would be shortlisting people pretty fucking quickly. You know what I mean? Right. It's not like, oh, shit, now I have to interview 250 people. Exactly. Like, <laughs> and and from the sounds of it in the documentary, it's not like it's not like Paris had to do that. She also had like a short list basically of like the few people in Perry's life that he trusted and whatnot and like that would know the most. Yeah. So yeah. Like it's just So like I'm not surprised if she was obsessed with finding it. Probably wasn't. And it, and I'm assuming this person isn't, like, a master criminal. No. Um, she probably figured it out. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it also, like, again, from all of all accounts, it doesn't sound like Perry was the type of person to get himself into trouble anyways. Yeah. So it, that's why it's extra, like, alarming to this family that, like, he's a good person. It's not like he was out, like, doing a drug deal or anything. He was literally on his way to work. Like, so, yeah, it's just, it's a weird, weird scenario. Yeah. However, investigators that are on the case and everything in the police department are still unable to identify the driver to this day and link the accident to Paris's disappearance. The only person that's able to link it is Timothy Dimoff. And that's not even like necessarily a concrete link. It's, it's just, just a theory. A theory where yeah. it, it's it's fitting where because it's of everything. that he could link them together. Yeah. Exactly. Where she figured out who it was. She confronted them either on a burner phone or in person. Exactly. Maybe. And then there is some, some sort of let's meet up to talk about this in person. They pick yeah. her up. They do something to her. Yeah. To shut her up. Exactly. And like, that's, it, that's what it's seeming like, at least a, at this point. It's a pretty plausible theory. It is. So, and that's why it's, that's why it is a great thing that Timothy Demoff like came onto this case because maybe that didn't get explored or maybe that wouldn't have been explored mm-hmm. had things continued the way they were going, especially with, 
with it being such a small police department, after a few weeks, it would have slowed down anyways. Yeah. Because they'd have to start prioritizing other cases. So, but with their investigation deepening, it's revealed that Paris was in a pretty tricky relationship. I took those words from her her cousin who states this in the documentary, but she kept this relationship extremely private. Her cousin Logan, which is her mom, which is Paris's mom's brother's daughter, um, talks about how she knew Paris was dating someone and had one time, one time only expressed concerns that there was something a little off about him. That's it. Okay. But I, again, I don't want to read into those things because like, I mean, maybe she had just started dating this guy and wasn't sure. And then it got, Mm. you know, it's one of those things where like after the thought, that's when you start thinking of all of these conversations you've had. Like if you went missing tomorrow, I'd be like, well, there was that one time that she said she had an odd date with Luke seven years ago. You know what I mean? Like it'd be one of those (laughs) things where like I start thinking over everything and everything's a bigger deal than it is. Sure. Yes. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Or the scarier scenario. And this guy's really a bad guy. But they can't figure out who this guy is, like, from her phone? Um, I believe Rochelle, her mom, knew who this guy was. And I think they did investigate him and he was essentially, like, cleared. Oh, okay, okay. So they do know who it is. Yeah. yeah. But they're still, like, I, I don't, I don't know. The, the guy does seem fishy, but also they couldn't pin anything on him. Mm-hmm. There's one more thing before we wrap up the details of the case. So because of that statement, Timothy decides to go deeper and do a second sweep, like a second further, more expansive sweep of her emails and everything, like go further back in time than just the Yeah, because that's what I was wondering. I was like, I don't know how far back he went, but like maybe it's something. Yeah. Yeah, that you could go a couple of years back or something. Yeah. I so know. I don't know what his first initial sweep included timeline wise but i know he on the second one was like i'm opening up the doors i'm just gonna look at fucking everything now like it's it's time to just go all the way back so he finds one email in particular that stumped him it was one between paris and an attorney an attorney attorney excuse me discussing how she felt that she was being blackmailed oh we don't know what the blackmail is there was no follow-up there was nothing else in that email that explained, gave names, gave details, just basically that she was lawyering up for blackmail. That's basically all we know. Wow. Rochelle was shocked by this. She had no idea what blackmail somebody would have on her daughter because, again, her daughter was like a well-respected member of the community. She she had like a flourishing career in event planning. She was extremely intelligent, well-liked by literally everybody she came in contact with. Not, so what could she have done that somebody would be using to blackmail her? I don't know. Wow. And, and maybe, again, you never know someone's personal life behind Closed of course, doors. of course. Or it could have been something she did when she was young, like... Exactly. You know, that someone brought back. I don't, there's a million things, but... I don't know. And and no one in her family can even think of anything. Like, oh, I, did she cheat on somebody? I, no, there's no proof of that. Like, they're, yeah. they're racking their brains for, like, what what happened that she would... That would necessitate her being blackmailed to the point that she needs to lawyer up. Yeah. Where she's actually worried about whatever this information is coming out. Yeah. And we we still don't know. 
Um, unfortunately, given the timeline here, as you might be able to guess where this is going, COVID hits. Oh, yeah. The pandemic fully and almost entirely brings the entire investigation to a screeching halt. Fuck. Bringing us to present day. Yeah, because it feels like there's enough tidbits of information there that, 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 like... Exactly. That especially a private detective could, like, work with. And it's still actively being worked on. Yeah. It's just... But it it would just cause such a ruckus. It delayed everything. And and Timothy Dimoff in the documentary goes on to explain how, like, I'm still doing these things, but when I go to somebody's work, they're not there Mm -hmm. because works are closed. So now I go to their house. They might not be willing to open the door at that point where opening the door to a stranger who's not wearing a mask or whatever. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah, it's just everything's oh changed, right? It's just the dynamic has completely shifted. They've checked hospitals. They've checked everything, looking. like the, So these are things that are still happening. It's just, it basically put it on like a, a year halt up until this point. Mm-hmm. So we're still looking, but again, the pandemic still like greatly impacts a lot of the search. It's still unsolved. She's still missing. She's still out there. We've never found a body, nothing like that. Yeah. It's just, these are the details we're working with. Yeah. So I wanted to go over a little bit of uh, like a physical description of Paris since she is still out there. So if you're in and around the Ohio area or just anywhere, because Mm -hmm. at this point enough time has passed, she could be anywhere in the United States, maybe even Canada. Who knows? Yeah. If we all just kind of band together and we know who we're looking for, what they look like, we will also share photos on our social media as well um, and links and all of that. So here is her physical description. She is a black female born in 1993 with brown hair and brown eyes. Paris is five foot and two inches tall, weighs roughly 220 to 230 pounds. Paris has tattoos of her name and a pair of lips on her chest a rose on her foot and ankle, and an unspecified tattoo on her upper back by her neck, and her ears are pierced. Paris was last seen, so on Christmas Day of 2019, 2019, I want to confirm, 2019, um, wearing blue jeans, a pair of tall black boots with gold buckles, a black pea coat and a burgundy shirt with purple stripes. She was at the time carrying a black purse. If you have any information regarding the de- disappearance of Paris Hobson, please contact the Massillon Police Department at 330-830-1735. I will put that phone number in the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. There are also a ton of Facebook groups that have also been created in mm-hmm. hopes of finding Paris and... We just need to remain vigilant with looking. Yeah. I feel like, I, I feel don't like know. I feel, str- I feel strongly that like there is enough there to figure yeah. out what happened. Some cases like they, they do honestly feel hopeless and like some of those still get solved too, which is great. Like there is always hope, but like there feel, it feels to me like there's enough here yeah. and it's, and it is like recent enough. Like they do That's have the time thing. on their side as That's far as we know the longer a case is cold the harder it is to solve it's three years old which is still old enough to be a cold case but it's not 25 years on you know yeah. what i mean so it's like if 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 like you said people can stay vigilant and keep this in the public eye especially in that area um exactly 
there's a good chance that this could be solved for yeah. the family. Yeah. That's all we can hope. Um, yeah. So just, I don't know, I guess keep Paris Hobson like at the like forefront of your thoughts. Yeah. And keep looking. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I agree with the family. I think it is extremely hopeful that a body hasn't been found. That mm -hmm. I'm someone that that gives me hope that she's out there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I agree. What condition? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I want to assume she's safe and sound. Maybe she's been abducted and is being forced to live with somebody under like a different name and identity. So that's why we wanted to give her physical description. That way, like if you see her in these tattoos, we know we've got her. Mm -hmm. So just, yeah, that's, that's that one. It's a rough one. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I just, disappearances are like so, so tricky. Like I know they're so hard to, yeah. I just, because I hate it. Like, like you said, it's there, it's hard to, you don't know how to feel or like what to decide on, you know, as yeah. far as like what happened. Yeah. And yeah. So I don't know, but yeah. So on that note, if you know, you feel super inclined to be super cool and want to join up and sign our, join our cult of extremely awesome people who love true crime at www.patreon.com slash how to not get killed. And if you ever want to chat and connect with us, you can send us an email to howtonotgetkilled at gmail.com. Or you can DM us or comment on our posts on Instagram at howtonotgetkilled. And you can follow us on Twitter at H2NGK. And you can also check out our website and shop our merch at www.howtonotgetkilled.com. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you. Keep it sleazy. If you've got any info, bring it forward. If you don't feel comfortable co contacting the number we gave you, you can contact us and we'll pass it along. Just stay vigilant, guys. That's all. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you.